0: Temp check. time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional
1: terms and fees apply.
2: What say you, Richard, Ellen, Murdoch, Are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand
3: in Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country.
1: The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation,
4: it was obvious. I'm not here to work with them. Okay. And the
1: whole
2: point is to have this not fall into the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history.
5: Welcome to Unsolved, South Carolina, the Murdoch Murders, Money and Mystery. I am joined today, I'm Ann Emerson, I'm joined today with our exclusive legal analyst, the former South Carolina Attorney General, Charlie Condon, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Our executive producer, Drew Tripp. We've got Ter Jabor, reporter extraordinaire at WCIV uh-huh. and has been covering this Murdoch uh, case since the very beginning. And we have Max Harrison, of course, he's running the boards and he's keeping track of our uh, clips that we're gonna be sharing with you today. We had an extraordinary experience We had the opportunity as a team uh, to go up to Columbia and meet with the Attorney General's office, the five members of the prosecution team on the double murder trial of Alec Murdoch. They were candid, uh, they were authentic. Mm-hmm. I thought they gave us an incredible amount of information. The, in, the interview alone with this five-member panel uh, went on for almost two hours, and, and the, their voices that you're going to hear, and hopefully you'll be able to, um, if you're listening to this as opposed to watching it, um, you'll be able to differentiate these voices, but we'll try and help you out as we go along. But we had uh, the Attorney General, Alan Wilson. He was there, and of course, uh, if you were watching the trial, you'd remember that he was sitting there, right there in that front line with the prosecutors throughout this case. We had Savannah Gowd. Uh, Savannah was one of the prosecutors as well. Uh, We had John Metters uh, with Mm -hmm. us, uh, joined us for the interview. Uh, We had David Fernandez, and, of course, the lead prosecutor for the state, Creighton Waters, was there. Extraordinary opportunity, I thought, to let them speak amongst themselves. Uh, It was sort of, you know, it was the the five, how many of us are there? Yes, there was five of us, and there were five of them. And, you know, it, it felt more like a conversation than an interview. Uh, we gave each one of them a moment to take the floor and tell us a little bit about their experience. But, but what was really nice about this experience for me personally was to see them interacting with each other. And when you've been embedded in something like this, and this is sort of our team that was there, um, as well as Sam Griswold, another one of our Photogs, we know what it feels like. And they had their own kind of way of speaking, all of their inside jokes, and uh, it was nice to be able to, to hear how they communicated with each other. What did you think,
4: Charlie? No, I agree, I, uh, it was a, a remarkable event, and it was a privilege for me to be there in the setting, if I can talk about that a little yeah. bit, because you we were actually in the State Grand Jury Room, and a little background on that, the, and it's called the uh, Travis Medlock Room, it's dedicated to the former Attorney General of South Carolina who started the State Grand Jury, And in the actual room where all the financial crimes would have been presented to jurors and indictments forthcoming, the murder case, that would have been through the Colleton County Grand Jury, the local Grand Jury. But still, we had the the setting where we were talking to these individuals where all these financial crimes, and you had the heart... (laughs) credit, uh, again, to setting up this interview because we had the very hard news that came out of the interview that the Attorney General was going to prosecute all 99 financial crimes and seek another life without parole sentence for Alec Murdoch, and we'll talk about that a bit, I'm sure, as, a, as sort of an insurance policy against the, uh, the
6: murder conviction. So it was just a, a privilege for me to be there. I, I could tell it was a privilege for you to be there. The word I would use for you, Charlie, was eager. Uh, Charlie was asking all, just bam, 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 question after question, and he he was thinking ahead and he was bouncing off of them and, and coming up with just, and he helped us get he thought of stuff that we did not think of, which is exactly why we were so adamant to have him involved in everything that we've done covering this trial and so thankful to have him alone because oh. it was really helpful. Oh, and you. it was also kind of fun to just sit there and see you d- just kind of, uh, like I said, eager a little bit. Uh, you were clearly enjoying kid, kid yourself. the and, candy store, was it? And to question them, be, yeah. be a reporter.
4: Yeah, Yeah, and also if you think about the setting there, you had the top law enforcement officer in South Carolina, the Attorney General, with his team there. And it was just an opportunity that I don't think I'll ever have again in my life to question somebody in a major trial as to how they made certain decisions, where, when, and how. And it was no holds barred. Nothing was off limits. So I was very very impressed with uh, their attitude and the willingness to answer any and all questions.
0: Yeah. Yeah, one thing I thought that was kind of funny during that was at first we thought the Attorney General would only be there for... You know maybe 20 minutes or so and charlie you and him both got the opportunity to go back and forth i thought that was just so special because you guys have a relationship obviously you hired creighton waters um so it's funny because attorney general alan wilson ended up staying a lot longer than we thought he would
5: yeah, yeah it was great you. to have him there it was it was really great and one of the questions right off the bat um well one of the questions that we asked was um basically uh, at what point, what was that turning point for the AG's office to move forward um, with the indictments mm-hmm. and when, when were they ready to really make that decision. And we've got a clip right here uh, explaining some of it and we can certainly help explain more and we'll, we'll try and help you um, differentiate the voices as well as we, as we listen to this clip with you.
7: Well, it was actually in this room, um, SLED. Obviously, I think the video, the kennel video was found in April, like two months earlier. And we, I was aware of it, but I don't think I saw it until early July of last year. And it was a couple of us. You were there. SLED came over. Cheap kill was here. And they basically did a presentation up into the critical decision point to say, OK, this is what we think we have. And this is where this is
2: our theory of the case at this time. I actually did a 40-slide PowerPoint in this yeah. room as we made wow. that final decision, That's right. which I actually sanitized a good bit, which was one of the powerpoints That's during it. the closing argument. But yeah, uh, it was right good. up there on that screen. That's as We kind of went question. through all of that yeah. and presented it to uh, the command staff, and, and the command staff were SLED. and. Uh, at that point, uh, you know the, the David Owen, the the, the case agents, and know the other agents involved, and, and 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 I, and we were like, uh, you know, hey, bosses, uh, we we think it's time to go. Okay, you made the decision,
5: General,
2: that day. I did. I made that decision.
5: Okay, so that was a great example of how they were all sitting together. They're all kind of uh, weighing in on what's going on. You heard a lot of A.G. Wilson at the top, and Creighton Waters sort of pipes in to say that he had done this forty-slide. PowerPoint presentation about how they were going to move forward with this extremely serious double murder charge that they were charging another lawyer uh, from a prominent family of solicitors. Charlie, what what would it have been like in that room? Were you kind of living that experience with them as they were talking about this?
4: I can remember the day when I heard about these indictments and I thought to myself, I'm assuming they've got a really good case because if they don't, this, this uh, and again, you don't want to have politics enter into a decision to prosecute or not prosecute, but stepping back from this, it wasn't as if your typical criminal case in South Carolina begins with an arrest warrant getting into the system, and then you decide whether or not to prosecute or not to prosecute. This was not that case at all. This was a case in which the attorney general generated the information and the evidence, and the Attorney General was going to decide whether or not to go forward with an indictment. So there was, and it took so long, what was it, like a year and a half or so after the murder?
5: It was. Mm-hmm.
4: And so there was really no... It
5: was 13 ex- months.
6: 13 months.
4: Yeah, there was really no, and of course you kept hearing from the defense, in effect, that uh, that, that that he was innocent or or information of the effect that seemed to be leaking throughout the press. And so from my, my perspective, I was thinking, that the fact that there was the, the trigger was pulled, that that I uh, thought at the time, I'm assuming just knowing uh, the good common sense that General Wilson has, that it was a good, solid case that they had. Otherwise, why would you put yourself in the middle of such a, really the potentiality for this to be a disastrous prosecution? Uh, Could have been there if the evidence wasn't there. Because if you crank something up like this, and indict somebody of his stature for murder and you don't get a successful prosecution going it may not look good for you long term to say the least
5: well and you're talking i mean because obviously you know, in the state of south carolina you you're going to have to elect that uh, that ag position you were you went through the process and those it, questions would come up wouldn't they yeah
4: and you know not to put too much into this but i mean you had Dick, and I you know, Dick and I are, are, are now friends, but Dick, uh, former chairman of the state Democratic Party, Alan Wilson, Republican, he's representing Alec Murdoch. If, if you could, I can only imagine the soundbites going forward if there was a not guilty verdict. And in fact, there were some, I can remember one press conference exp, uh, explicitly where uh, I think Dick was in front of his office saying that it was a political prosecution. And so the risk reward out there, well, I thought was was high. And again, I'm sure he had nothing, didn't think the least bit about politics. But when he made that decision to go forward after so many months after the murders, it just occurred to me that, wow, I'm I'm just assuming they've got some good, you know, at the end of the day, it's still a circumstantial evidence case. uh, But I do think the circumstances were such that it, it ended up being a strong case.
5: Yeah, I think, I think so. And, but, you know, What did you guys feel like when I was in the room, you know, we're, we're sitting in this Mm -hmm. grand jury room, as, Mm -hmm. as you said, and, um, just after what we've witnessed with Creighton Waters, we've watched him do these presentations when these guys had, and, and, and gals with the Savannah there, you know, had to hear what was about to go down. Um, and that kennel video surfaces, sounds like that was probably a very important part of this presentation.
0: I think I remember a line from our interview that John Metter said. He said, you know, he went home one night and he was telling his wife about the kennel video and she told him, you have it right there. You, you You have this case right there with that video. And you could tell that that video was extremely important to them. You know, we had heard about maybe some videos, what are these videos, and... You know, when, we, when there was that day in court and they put that video up and they kept that theme, all those people identifying Alec Murdoch, Alec Murdoch, Alec Murdoch, and then he gets on the stand and for the first time ever he says, yes, I was there. I was at the
4: kennels. I know. And, and to, but to get to that point, I do think that the state did a really good job of, because he had an alibi of sorts, is not he? He put a notice of alibi in. And for the, fact, for the state to get to the point where he was forced to do that, I do think, again, um, the fact that they, in effect, pulled the trigger in that very room, at that moment in time, I thought it was just a great opportunity for us. And again, I may be injecting too much in the way of the politics of this, but I do think that it, that, that, that had to be some of the backdrop to all this, particularly with State Law Enforcement Division being involved, the Attorney General's Office being involved, the players on the defense side, and again, I have a lot of respect for Dick and for Jim, but I do have to think that uh, at, at some point in time, if the case went south, and y'all have covered moments where it did seem to be going south, with the, with the, particularly with the blood spatter evidence that, uh, that went south, I do think that the, that the risk that was being taken relative to the state, I thought that it, it, was, it was a really good moment for them, that they looked at the evidence. Everyone in the room looked at it, we're in that very room where it was shown, and they made the decision in hindsight, which is a perfectly proper, laudable decision. But it took some courage, I believe, to do that, and uh, I commend them for it.
5: So tell me just technically, I was kind of curious about this. What, what happens once that, you know, th- that trigger is pulled by the AG? What, what,
7: what happens?
4: Yeah, it's pretty straightforward, really. You type up indictments and schedule something with the Colleton County Grand Jury, and you have David Owens go in there and present it, and you, you get true bills. I think that was the procedure they used. They could have uh, gone to a magistrate and issued arrest warrants and had them arrested that way. But as, as I recall, they did it that way, didn't they? Indictments from the grand jury, then had them booked in on the, on the indictment. So the two different ways they could have gone forward, But I believe they just chose the, uh, the more straightforward approach, going directly to the grand jury and getting, getting, getting murder indictments, as I recall. He well, was
6: already in jail anyway at that. But he was already in jail anyway at that point. So. Oh, that's mm-hmm. true.
5: Oh, that's true. <laughs> so, um, I do remember there being some questions about why it didn't go to the state grand jury versus the Coliseum jurisdiction. County. That's you
4: know th- that's such a great question because uh, let me give you some backdrop on this. So the statewide grand jury has uh, jurisdiction over computer crimes, and of course now everything can be computers, and so that's how they got fin- Alec, jurisdiction over Alec Murdoch for the financials, but didn't have jurisdiction for murder. So okay. That's why they had to go county.
6: Hi everyone, this is Drew. Just wanna let you know, for the next several seconds of the podcast, you're gonna hear a lot of background noise. Unfortunately, while we were recording, there was some activity going on in the garage area of our news station, and the room where we were recording was right next to that. So for the next few seconds, you're gonna hear a lot of background noise. You may have to lower or raise your volume a little bit to understand what we're saying. We do apologize for this, wasn't really in our control but we just wanted to give you a little heads up about what's going on with this. It's over in about 20, 30 seconds. Thanks. That's so interesting.
5: Now, another, uh, pivotal moment for me, um, when they, when we were in the arraignment of Alec Murdoch, I remember I was texting with Charlie right afterwards or, or yeah, I think it was right afterwards. Um, uh, once he got indicted for the double murders and, uh, Don Zelenka was in the room, and you texted me and said, Don Zelenka is, amongst other things, just being a brilliant lawyer that he is, he's also the death penalty, one of the death penalty sort of experts for the state of South Carolina. So that immediately, you know, alarm bells start going off, or are they going to be looking at the death penalty? So. Obviously, that isn't the decision they made, but we wanted to understand why it wasn't the decision they made to go for the death
7: penalty. I'm a supporter of the death penalty, but you also have to look at the individual, and sometimes life without parole is a worse crime, or worse punishment, rather, for an individual than the death penalty would be. This is a family that is both the victim uh, of this horrible, horrific double murder and all that Alec Murdoch did in the, in the years leading up. They were They were left in the wake as well, but also, they were, you know, they were sitting behind Alec, and a number of them were very supportive. And again, when you're considering the death penalty, asking for the state to take someone's life, you have to factor in
2: victim impact. You're, you're talking about a six-week trial. Uh, it's already an extremely complex trial. You add the death penalty to it, and we're talking about maybe a 12-week trial. We wanted to try this case in Colleton County. I'm a firm believer that you know, a lot of people ask, why didn't you try to change venue? You know, I'm a firm believer in it, you know, let the community where this happened have their voice on it.
5: And it's just a little bit of the conversation that was going on, but uh, they actually kind of gave us some really good reasons, didn't they, of of why death penalty just didn't suit this case.
0: Yeah, Charlie, so, you know, we heard Creighton Waters say that it would have been a 12-week trial. I'm not from South Carolina. Um, Why would have it almost doubled the length of the trial?
4: The main reason it would lengthen the trial is in death penalty cases, you have individual voir dire of the jurors to see if they're death qualified, and what that means is if you say that you're always for the death penalty in every murder case, you're disqualified, and if you say that you're never for the death penalty case, regardless of the facts, you're not qualified. So you bring your jurors up, you go back and forth on that issue, and that can be a fact if you ever get a chance to watch that, because jurors are confused, because the the roles are reversed in, in that back and forth because the s- state often is tr- – somebody gets up there as law and order type, nope, eye for an eye, eye for a tooth, uh, for eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And so if someone commits murder, they need to put to death. Well, you, as the prosecutor, you want them on the jury. So, you then start saying, Well, wait a minute now, Aren't, can't there be extenuating circumstances? What if he had a. And so the juror's like confused because he's thinking the prosecutor's like, Well, why are you challenging my belief I should be a good person? So, you're trying to get him to say, Oh, I could consider a life sentence maybe if there's some extenuating circumstance. So, he gets qualified. The flip of that is, on the defense side, if somebody gets up there, No, I can never put somebody in electric chair. I'm sorry, I can never do that. So, the defense lawyer then starts saying, Wait a minute now, what if, what if, you, had, what if you had Satan himself? Couldn't you put. Satan to death, and the juror gets confused because it the, the, looks like the defense lawyer is trying to talk him in, into capital punishment, but he's trying to get him qualified. So you get 10 strikes for the f- defense and five for the state, and so you want to get a big pool of jurors that are sympathetic to your cause. And that back and forth typically, in my experience, on each juror is like half an hour to an hour back and forth times how many jurors we had. It probably would have added maybe two or three days, and then the other um, lengthening of the trial is after the the uh, guilt verdict or murder, if you get that, you have to wait for a day until the penalty phase starts, and you go back and forth on what's called mitigating circumstances and aggravating circumstances. I'm not so sure it would add that much length to the trial, as, as Creighton uh, suggested, but it certainly would have added weeks. So, wow.
5: Well, and uh, the other point that they made, which was um, – Not lost on anyone that sat in that courtroom or even a lot of the time Mm -hmm. that they were watching that courtroom. There were so many members of the Murdoch family there. And it was, as you've spoken before about, it's super confusing. Not super confusing, but just very hard to, to see how they are not only trying to support Alec Murdoch as the defendant. They're also the victims of this. Oh, yeah.
4: That was, I thought, a fascinating point that General Wilson made, and I didn't really think about it, in that you would not have had people supporting Alex being put to death sitting in there, because Maggie's family really didn't show except for that one day when they were subpoenaed. So in your typical death penalty case, you do have a a row or two of folks that are looking uh, for justice. And it does. It, you know, we were all there. It creates a different atmosphere when you have people sitting there each and every day, wanting a, a certain result. And so it's true. During that trial, the people that you had sitting there each and every day were simply to defend its family, wanting him to to be acquitted. Was my view.
5: Well, and um, and then Waters' point too. I guess this is off off a little bit, but he said you know he really wanted to try this case in Colton County. He's a firm believer that a lot of people ask why didn't you change the venue he said i'm a firm believer in letting the community where this crime happened have a voice on it and drew i you know coming from the Cal- Carlton county area um you know that we talked about this so much before the trial about how in the world they were going to be able to find a group of people that weren't intimidated or had some connection to the murdochs but it wasn't really as far as the connection part that didn't really play into it they they had to just be i mean they probably did know the murdochs right
6: yeah uh or, or know of them or uh, the way i would phrase it, it, it in my experience gr- growing up there it, certainly you knew of the murdochs the solicitors um it, it, the but i i I've, I've explained it this way to people before. The idea that the Murdoch family was some sort of, I, I don't know, this looming um, presence uh, of of any sort over the community, that might have been true in the 70s and 80s, and 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, maybe a little bit up into the 90s as well. Uh, I think. It, if you're really digging into that family's background, the Alex grandfather, uh, Buster Murdoch, uh, Randolph Murdoch, the junior, um, who was solicitor from the 19, I believe like 1940 to 1986, uh, chewed tobacco in the courtroom. Uh, he was involved in all sorts of scandals. He was kind of the larger than life figure um, uh, in that family and was t- again, tied to scandals and things like that. Um, I don't. I I think there may be for some people. I don't think that there's this widespread, like, registry of. uh, Oh, those the Murdochs. You got to watch out for them. They'll they'll get you. I I don't feel like it's that, but I. I feel like more so the reputation belongs to, the law firm, the PMPED law firm, the former PMPED. Uh, I would say in that community the names Johnny Parker, Ronnie Crosby Mark Ball um, they they carried every bit as much clout for the reasons of <laughs> the, the, the law firm carries clout uh, as the name the Murdoch name in particular does that that's just my assessment I may be wrong it, it, it could be generational I'm, I'm in my mid 30s uh, I would maybe my my parents generation people in their 50s and 60s would say, Differently, um, but that, that's just just my assessment on it. Um, but I did think it was interesting. Again, it, we asked them about this that both Creighton and uh, John Metters mentioned again the fact that they'd worked with uh, the Murdochs, uh, Randolph Murdoch III, uh, Handsome as mm-hmm. they called him. They'd worked with him at points in their careers and knew him and respected him, and um, you know, just but. Again, just from my perspective, it
4: it, it was. Did it make much of a difference it being Colleton County versus Hampton County?
6: I, I it may have. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that the process is such that you, unless you have. Some real shenanigans going on, or you have some real dishonest people. The process of uh, is such that you're going to get the best possible people mm-hmm. that you can in any community. And I, I, you know, I don't know all those jurors. Um, I, I was actually a bit surprised by the fact that I did not know more of the jurors. Mm-hmm. I, and I certainly saw familiar faces coming in, in and out. Um, uh, did, for jury qualification, the first couple of days, I saw faces that I knew. Mm-hmm. I just found out over the weekend that um, some someone I went to high school with was on the grand jury that indicted him. Mm-hmm. I did, didn't even realize that at the time, and I and um, had even seen them at the courthouse the day of the uh, grand jury indictments, and it didn't right. put two and two together because it was later after the fact that it had, that I saw them. And anyway, but. Um, it, There's one person who I do know was on the jury uh, and someone I've known a long time and someone who I have a ton of respect for and know that they are a very fair-minded and very, the type of person you would want to have have your fate in their hands because you know that they're gonna give you give you their best, and they're gonna represent the community well, but they're also gonna represent your interests well mm-hmm. as a defendant up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I'll say for that person. Um, they don't wanna be identified publicly. They, they've declined at this time to do any interviews, but but I I, I think the process works, and Colleton County was well-represented, and they were well-equipped to handle it.
5: Well, in, so there was another very interesting um, opportunity that we had while we were meeting with this group and that was to find out uh, why because we had one of the reasons that we we asked this question is we had not seen the Attorney General himself at the um, motion hearings he had not taken part in the arraignment of Alec Murdoch we he was kind of working behind the scenes but we were not privy to what that actually meant. So when he showed up sort of the first week of the trial, I think it was within the first couple of days of the trial, uh, that Wilson sort of took his seat along with the other prosecutors, it was fascinating. So we wanted to find out, why did AG decide to take part in this trial?
7: I will say this, I made for great theater that the last case or the last witness in the state's rebuttal case uh, was was done by me. Um, That wasn't planned that way. you know, I had been there, first off, I want to go back and say why I was there to begin with. Um, I came down, I think I got there, I had, in, I had conflicts the first week. I couldn't be there for the jury and all of that and the openings, but I was there for the last five weeks. And the reason I chose to be there is for a couple of reasons. Um, this is a high-stakes game here. This is a high-stakes trial. The eyes of the world were watching. The office is under a microscope. I have 1,000% f- faith in the team going down there but I knew that if, if things didn't go well, they, they were putting their necks out on the line. You know. And I said, they need to see me putting my neck out on the line with them. So I was going to put myself there, and I was going down to not be the attorney general, to be another staff attorney, and to be a support attorney, to help the team out, and also to say, hey, I'm going to put myself out there with you. These folks are staying away from their families for six weeks. Real life is happening back home. Kids are getting sick, you know, loved ones are getting injured. You know, you know, my wife was going through an ordeal at the time. They're going to be away from their families. I'm going to be away from my family. They're going to live in a hotel, mm-hmm. dorm room lifestyle for, you know, we didn't know it would be six weeks, but <laughs> they're going to be there for a month plus. Right. I'm going to be there with them. As the case started to unpack itself, I went to Creighton, because I knew Creighton was really pulling, uh, you know, he was bandwidth at his ends. And I went to him and I said, hey, listen, I'm happy to continue being a support staff. I'm happy to continue sitting there and passing notes and doing research and giving ideas out. But if you want me to take a witness, if you want me to help out, I used to be a prosecutor. You know, I used to do this and I enjoyed it. And and so he said, well, if the opportunity presents itself, if you will, and, and then I think the weekend before, we didn't even plan it to be the last witness. I went to him, I said, listen, and I want to give credit to David Fernandez and Creighton Waters. Creighton took Kenny Kinsey in the, skates, in the state's chief case. Mm-hmm. And David is the one that did the cross on the defense expert that came up with those preposterous and ridiculous theories that the bandits were 5'2 to 5'4 and that there were two of them. Um, and so what I did is I, I was obviously there. I took copious notes for both his directive, Kenny, and his cross of this, the defense's expert and took very detailed notes and went back and re-watched their examinations and sat down with Kenny Kinsey and was able to come up with the idea to, of how we would— tear apart the defenses theory and do that you know, do the gun in the doorway. And so it was just building blocks that they laid down for me. And again it wasn't my daughter was in the audience, but I didn't know that she was gonna be there the day that I was going to take the witness. So it it was all made good theater, but it wasn't planned that way. I wrote a little sticky to him when he got through and I said, You go, AG
6: (laughs)
5: John (laughs) Metters. That was John Metters closing it out. He he um he's a special guy. Mm
6: Um, we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about him uh, in more in just a minute because there's some really fascinating observations uh, that I think we all made about watching John Matters in there. But and what were you going to well, say?
5: I was just going to say, you know, uh, back to you, Charlie. You know, as far as um, you were talking about sort of the risk versus reward, you know, all of that. I think um, when we saw the AG get up, of course, he's an incredibly accomplished attorney in his own right, and and um, and he was. He looked like he was part of the team, but it is—that's a big deal to get up there and and sort of pull off. At what that he pulled moment, off?
4: remember the moment too. Oh, yeah. It was a key witness uh, in the state's rebuttal and the last one, right? It was the last one, and if you, that didn't go well, that would have stuck in everyone's craw. Uh, Dr. Kinsey, of course, is a terrific witness, but still, I thought the examination was crisp. The um, the visuals that he used, uh, which, by the way, the defense let them use their, their – uh, Doug Brown, I think is his name, mm. who people knew as Elmo. Uh, he put the visuals up, and it was just a really, really crisp direct examination with a nice visual. Remember the gun he used pointing there in, 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 in the doorway of mm. near the, the jury box with Dr. Kinsey? What a great moment for, for, for General Wilson. And, oh, by the way, uh, I see where the defense, uh, where, not the defense, but the, uh, the folks investigating the Stephen Smith case have now hired Dr. Kinsey to that's be the correct. lead investigator. So that's some a development there, isn't it?
5: Very interesting, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a, the, a lot of faith in Dr. Kenzie, especially after he was able to just unravel so much of what was going on at that crime scene. Uh, It was fascinating. And yeah, I made great theater. He's right. I mean, you didn't forget that. You know, we work in television, so we get it. You know, you got to show people what you're talking about Mm -hmm. for them to understand. So I thought that was really interesting, too.
6: Go ahead, Tara.
0: Oh, no, you go first.
6: Well, I I was just going to add to Charlie's point I thought Alan Wilson was very impressive in his element. And he's not trying cases all the time anymore, but you have to remember what his background is. He's an attorney. He's an attorney before he's an elected official. Mm -hmm. And that's how he rose through the ranks. And he did, you could very clearly tell he was in his comfort zone and he had a command of the room that was effective and he had a, a presence of mind about what to do, when to do it and when, when not to do it And a very simple gesture he did that I thought was very impressive uh, and effective was he got to a point where it was time to reference the crime scene and autopsy photos. And he said, we're not going to show him. you've seen them enough. Mm. And then he just moved on to the next thing. And small gesture, but if you're a jury who has been subjected, uh, and I, I can speak to that, and having heard some of them and spoken to one directly, life-changing uh, is um, is a way to describe what they saw and what they experienced. It, you're not the same after what they had to see. And Alan was, cognizant of that and like mm-hmm. said we're not going to look at that again you've seen mm-hmm. it enough just just a small point. moment mm-hmm. that, that really stood out to me and it that really sold uh it, he, just his command of the room while he was up there doing that
0: drew i was literally going to say the same thing <laughs> which he stole my beat but um <laughs> I thought, you know, when he spoke, everyone was listening and they mentioned this in the interview, right? We've already been hearing these attorneys for six weeks. We're in the rebuttal and we hear a new voice, mm-hmm. someone different, a different style. You know, we knew Creighton style. We knew Savannah's style. We knew David's style in this trial, but Metters. we had not heard. We knew matters. Uh, he was definitely, you know, he had great presence, but, um, then the Attorney General stood up and we heard of this different style and people wanted to pay attention because it was a different voice and it was someone new. And I remember at one point when he was um, questioning Dr. Kinsey, he recited like, well, you said it hour 27. And you know, yes, your testimony when you were on direct and I was like, Whoa, he knew the exact hour and minute that Kinsey said that when he was on direct, just you know, that quick, exact thing that I think anyone can respect, right?
5: Sure. Yeah, I think that, I think that is right on. Uh, it, it, he 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 did what he needed to do there, which was number one, support his team and not leave them all out to dry, as he said. Um, that, that takes true leadership, but also to be able to do um, that kind of cross. Yeah, it was, it was impressive. Now, the next thing I wanted to talk about a little bit was, um, something that we've been touching on, on our stories as well, because uh, we wanted to know what the prosecution thought was their most powerful witness. So here's a little bit of a taste of what that is. And before we play the clip, Max, I just wanna let people know if you're watching this, um, on video, we have taken the liberty to shorten some of these clips a little bit, taking out a little bit of the extra fluff so that we get a tighter clip. So if you watch it, you'll see those transitions. Um, so I just wanted you to know what that was.
2: Kenny Kinsey, probably. Uh, he was, he was really, really clutch. Uh, I thought, um, uh, I thought that, uh, um, you know, this, this was a different kind of case because of how complex it was with the, uh, the family and the friends, many of whom had, had loved this man but had no, no idea who he was. And we had to handle that with, with, uh, with a delicate uh, nature. But I, I think that, you know, some of the times where you saw um, people describe Paul and Maggie and you got to see, you know, the human side of them. You know, that that was that was important. Blanca was one witness that did that. Marion, uh, you know, did that. Uh, Ronnie Crosby did that. It's Alex. I was going to say that. <laughs> Alex. Yeah. Powerful. Against
3: um, himself. <laughs> if I witness, powerful, right. I would say Marion Proctor. I don't yeah. think she brought, uh, as far as evidence, but... She was a true victim, and they got. I think the juxtaposition between herself and Alex is that she genuinely was was torn apart by what happened. Yeah. Um, it was it was true emotions from her, and you couldn't. It, your heart broke. I I was horribly upset hearing her testimony. Yeah. It was very upsetting. Um, Alex was, I think, phony. It didn't come through.
2: Alex I was, was the most powerful witness against Alex, but I think Shelley was powerful. Shelley. just to. to to be there and see her reacting to him wanting her, Alex wanting her to lie—I thought was
1: Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, "What's your secret?" Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's BYTE.com. That's dot com. Start your confidence journey today with BYTE.
6: And if you're not, uh, if you're need some refresher on those voices the the last two you heard were john metters the more southern accent the deeper voice and the other was david fernandez who was with the uh, attorney general's office who we heard described as creighton water's right hand man Uh, he didn't have an outsized role in the overall prosecution in things like that but he did have some key witnesses in there, and he wasn't, he was certainly involved just as everyone else was. We heard a lot more from David in this intimate setting and got a lot better sense of who he was and how he Mm -hmm. thinks and what he was, in how he was seeing the world uh, through this trial in our one-on, well, wasn't one-on-one, five-on-five interview (laughs) that that we had with them there. Um, Really, really insightful, sharp guy. it, it very, and, and I thought it was. When we posed that question, who did you think the most? I, I feel like I think I posed that question. Who did you think was the most powerful witness? Uh, I was halfway expecting someone to say Alec, and then there was John Metters and David Fernandez, like <laughs> right on top of each other. Alec, and and that's true. I. I, I I've used this analogy so many times, and you're going to roll your eyes here um, if you've been listening to back issues of this podcast, if you've read my Twitter or anything like this, I cannot stress enough to you how in going back to the federal trial for Russell Lafitte, the federal bank fraud trial, Russell Lafitte, Alec Murdoch's co-conspirator and many of the thefts and the frauds and the money laundering schemes that he's been implicated in. when Russell Lafitte got on the stand initially in his federal trial, a light switch flipped. Um, he changed the momentum briefly. I'll be briefly. He changed the momentum because he was believable and he seemed somewhat authentic. And he he opened, he cracked open that door of reasonable doubt as, as we're uh, getting here. Very quickly, uh, the U.S. Attorney's office came and sh- kicked that door back in his face, and just covered him up in evidence that he was full of it. But it, at least from the the, I guess you would call it well. This no, I was going to say cult of personality, but that's not right. But uh, the the force of his personality and his his presence up on the witness stand, he was able to redirect the the momentum for a brief minute. I have told everyone who's asked alec didn't do that for a second alec murdoch lost me within the moment he opened his mouth to say why he lied about being at the kennels it was over for me and it just went downhill and got worse and worse for alec and i think he was absolutely the most powerful witness and the most powerful witness against himself as john metters and david fernandez said
5: yeah i think i would agree with that and then um Let's take that straight to the cross on Alex, or Alec, Um, that was uh, Creighton Waters Mm -hmm. had that opportunity to cross him after he initially had been, um, because obviously he was up there in his own defense, uh, when they do the direct with him, he basically admits for the first time that he lied to everyone about being at the kennels on that kennel video.
2: Looking at this guy and what we knew about him, uh, I thought that uh, I wanted to get him talking. I wanted to uh, to let him answer those questions. I wanted the jury to see him perfect his lie and lie to them in real time. And I thought that you know there's a wonderful common sense, collective common sense with the jury system, and uh, I just thought that they'd be able to see that. I mean, I had pauses for a, a reason because. He couldn't help himself. He would start talking again, and then I'd be like, "Okay, well, great. Let's talk about that. That's a new one. All right, let's talk about that one." And and so it was a different sort of thing. Uh, he, he's you know also a very very smart individual. He's a trial lawyer, so that's a tough draw across. Um, there's a lot of body language that I think was very key with him. You know, one of the things that. You know, I think I mentioned to the jury that to me is very telling is that when he would answer, you know, ultimate questions uh, with a lie, he, he would shake his head. Yes. And I saw that on the, the videotapes as well. He, he had
3: created this lie before he, he even knew Sled would be involved the minute Daniel Green arrived on scene. Yeah. And for Alex. It, so that was it was crucial because he, he committed to this this fabrication. We could prove it's just not true he had and he described himself this web of lies this that he that he the truth is easy to recite the truth is easy to stick to and the truth adds up when someone you know has to be questioned on the the outer perimeters of it alex had created this web of lies and his whole life was based on lies and it was hard for him to keep up with it and i think you saw that on the stand don't lie don't
5: lie I mean boy did we hear the word lie I would love to go through all of the transcripts of these court transcripts and see how many times they actually had to use the word lie I think in the story to give you a preview of what I'm working on for tonight for for the newscast it was about how he was lying about lying and now he's lying about lying to investigators and it's just you can't make this stuff up like you're like did you just lie about lying
6: oh it's it's, and again I'll go I'll circle back to the 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 related huh. issue of Russell Lafitte. In the meantime, uh, if if you remember during during trial, Alec used his uh, soapbox up there on the witness stand to say, "Oh, and by the way, uh, Russell Lafitte never had anything to do with any of the cr- crime. He didn't know he was doing anything wrong. I tricked him, and, and I lied to him too. And you know, he's he's innocent, which just is ignores." mountains of evidence uh, to the contrary as was proven in his uh, as was proven in his federal trial but since then and this is a, this is developed in the last couple of weeks since then russell of Feet's attorneys have filed a new a motion for a retrial in federal court with judge richard gerbel their first one got shot down they filed a new one based on alex's testimony for saying that uh, that russell didn't do anything and uh, you understand defense attorneys have a job to do of course they're they're looking for any opportunity they can to defend their client and get get him get him out of the conviction he has and keep him out of prison. Still, it it doesn't detract from the humor of the fact that Russell Lafitte is going off. like Hey, hey, listen, this guy over here, this guy, my buddy Alec, he said, uh, he, listen, he's telling you, I, like, I didn't have anything to do with this. You can listen to Alex, trust him, and uh, and the obvious rebuttal to that is, he is a notorious liar at this point. And then we get, last week, we get the federal government's uh, rebuttal to the um, the response in opposition, as it's called, to uh, Mo- Lafitte's lawyer's motion for retrial. And Katie Staunton, one of the prosecutors, she goes through and footnote lists 30 different times, Alec Murdoch on the witness stand admitted to lying during, <laughs> during the, um, during the murder trial. And I just thought it was just one of the most beautiful and brutal at the same time, just like, like stiff arm rejections of like, as she even said, I cannot think of a more unreliable witness for this for this defendant to be using as a small tangent there. uh, But I just thought that was, it's not funny. But just in the within the scope of itself there, there's certainly an element of humor to this and how much Alec Murdoch lied. But transitioning back, Charlie, I want to, how fun was it sitting there? I can recall listening to you and us kind of bouncing off each other, sitting in that house in Walterboro the night after Mm -hmm. all this and be like, did you notice how he was walking away from Alec and, and he was doing those pregnant pauses and Alec couldn't help himself, but to, but to, uh, fill in the silences and we were wondering was that part of his strategy all along or did he do that and we got the opportunity to ask creighton waters about that and yeah that was part of his strategy like yes. and it wasn't mm-hmm. just on the fly that's one of the things i asked about i was like well creighton day one versus day two was a little different from you and creighton was like oh i was just stalling on day one like i knew i wasn't going to be able to finish that day so i just was up there basically wasting time till we until It was
5: It was everything we wanted to know. Yeah. Yeah.
6: He laid a a trap for Alec Murdoch like Bravo. And Mm -hmm. it was
5: his strategy. It was not using that destructive
6: course,
4: right? uh, I do think it was high risk. Because you're you're typically uh, the common knowledge or wisdom is no, don't ask these open ended why questions and let the defendant run with things and give out his version. You have to control what he's saying by Yes, no questions. He didn't do that. And it paid off for him big time. But I think at the time as it was going on, I'm sure the pundits nationally were giving him a hard time for not following the rule book on this. But in hindsight, looking back, it turned out to be the exact right strategy.
0: Yeah, I think that's just because that was the state's whole point is that Alec Murdoch, they said in court that Alec Murdoch had been a liar his whole life. He just, he kept lying Mm -hmm. on this stand also. You know, Crane Waters kept saying, hey, jury, Alec Murdoch is looking you in the eyes right now, and he's lying to you. Look how effortlessly mm-hmm. and easily he does it. And the jury got to see that while he was on the stand because he kept backtracking and lying mm-hmm. more. I mean, mm-hmm. it was confusing.
4: Now, and, and he did get him on a really good point where he had very specific factual information to share on things he wanted mm-hmm. to share. But on the big questions, it'd be a lot of like, I don't recall, I don't remember. And that, that I thought, played well for, for the state.
5: That was tough. Now, you know, these guys had to sit in a hot seat and wait for this verdict to come in. They
8: didn't have to wait that long. I, I thought we might get a verdict that night. Um, just because, we, you know, the jury's been there as long as we have. We're tired. You know the jury's tired. You can tell by looking, looking over there at them. I felt like they had made up their minds one way or the other. Um, I do think... It came back a little quicker than I thought, but I didn't think we would be there the whole weekend.
3: When it came back fairly quick, and some of them say it was, you know, roughly an hour. Um, you either you think to yourself either we we definitely got it right and they understood what we were what we were putting out there for them, or it went horribly wrong. It's it's one of the one of the two. Um, we felt pretty confident that we we put a, a strong case out there and, and I don't, I, you know, you don't ever want to jinx it. So I try not to think about it. I don't want to talk about it.
2: Um, uh, I really don't cause uh, but, but watching that jury for, um, uh, the jurors for six weeks, they were listening. Yeah, They were listening. Uh, and I mean really listening. And I, I thought we'd get a verdict. I didn't know if it'd be that night or the next, next morning or a six week trial. You don't know, but I thought they'd reach a verdict. And when we got word that they didn't want supper, um, you kind of knew at that point, but again, you, I'm superstitious. But I felt really good
4: the way the case went up, huh. Charlie. Where the, I'm just, I'm just, uh, just uh, admiring the accents, right? Uh, Savannah Good uh, Hemingway, South Carolina. John Metters, I think he's somewhere upstate, South Carolina, right. and uh, David Fernandez, not South Carolina, right? <laughs> yeah,
6: we did learn <laughs> that about David.
4: <laughs> so it was, I, I just love, love hearing the voices. Uh, but I digress. Getting to, to what they're talking about, quick verdict, yeah, I, I, wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, how impressive. You had a six-week trial, and these jurors were so satisfied with the evidence produced to them and the arguments that they came back so quickly. I, I just thought it was just a tremendous victory for the state of South Carolina from, from, from that standpoint. It, the jurors were satisfied with the evidence.
5: Well and you know when when we've heard from jurors you know as they've sort of a few of them have spoken um and when they've spoken about the coming to the conclusion two of the big things that stuck out to me was that the two the two pieces that really really sold it for them were both decisions made by the defense and that was to let Alec take the stand of course they don't they, they it sounded like they had 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 tried to at least show that they had had some resistance to that when they spoke to Newman about it, but that and also um, sending them out to Moselle to really check out the scene there, um, uh, at the where the crime scene was. So it was. Uh, it was they had made up. They had made up their mind. I mean, I remember even seeing one of the jurors had on was dressed up, and mm-hmm. uh, he had been very down dressed throughout the entire uh, trial. And I remember thinking, why is he dressed up? Well because he's made up his mind and mm-hmm. he's got a big decision to mm-hmm announced right now
0: mm-hmm. i thought it was just kind of a side note through the interview you know john metters kept talking about how superstitious he is and how throughout the trial oh, yes. they'd see wood and they'd go up and they'd knock on it and then creighton Waters said he was already superstitious but john metters made him more superstitious um so i guess like charlie when you're in that position do you think about the verdict a lot or do you think most of the time attorneys are just more focused on day to day
4: oh no you totally do yeah uh, I think I've talked about this before. Jury trials are like elections; you get a result, and at the end of the day, you're going to get a, a guilty or not guilty, or it could be hung. But you get a result, and I just have to think that both sides of uh, and by the way, I do think that the that the feeling I had on the defense side, I don't think they were subtle about this. I think they thought they would get a not guilty verdict, didn't you? I think. They- Pretty confident going into jury th- deliberations.
5: I think they were. I think that there was, um, I don't know, maybe I'm just reading into it, uh, but I felt like I saw some some furrowed brows leaving that uh, room waiting for for the verdict. And certainly when they came back in that quickly, I think that was,
1: mm-hmm. that was concerning. I think they knew then. And also
5: just because all the family couldn't even be there because it happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember John Marvin had mm-hmm hadn't he had gone home at that point
4: I think he explained to me that he had uh, a school visitation looking at schools okay. for his daughter and was way she away in Beaufort and couldn't back get back in time anyway so but uh, I, I, I did have the, the feeling that at least the defense family for the most part maybe with the exception of Randy that did did believe in his innocence I mean I think they really were supportive of him wouldn't you say
5: yeah. And, you know, one of the things I uh, just heard from Savannah, and it's lovely to hear her voice here, too. I mean, they all played such an important role, as Waters told us, over and over again. And of course, we were missing a couple of people from the team
4: right? Um, many, in that though, interview. Yeah, but, but by the way, though, I'm, I think about this now. You've got... Uh, kudos, right, to, to to you all to pull together this kind of an interview. I think it's unprecedented a major trial to have them all sitting there. I mean, it was just remarkable to me. To,
5: it felt like a unicorn moment. I was wow, really, wow. I was really ex- wow, thrilled that wow, they would sit wow, down
4: with Wow! Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. And by the way, getting back to Randy Marvin, I hope I'm not characterizing him wrongly, but with his, yeah, with Rennick Murdoch, with uh, I mean, Randy Murdock, with, uh, with uh, the New York Times interview, where he yeah. gave it oh, more of a, I, okay. I, I don't know where, what happened, what the facts are, or more of a, a neutral position, but I think all the rest of them really felt really strongly of his innocence, I, as I understand it, even to this day, because remember after the verdict, the defense was still putting out that they are as convinced as ever of his innocence, as mm-hmm. I recall, at the press conference. So. We'll see what Absolutely happens right. in appeals.
5: Well, Savannah, uh, we wanted to hear from her again real quick. Let's play a clip. This is really uh, the question was uh, from Drew, and he said, I just want to know what your why is. When you go into something like this, you've got to have a strong why. What's your passion? What's your why? Why are you doing it?
8: Just the defendant himself, someone in such a trusted position, someone with so much power, and just even a father, how could you do something like this? And then you have the nerve to take the stand and lie to the jury just how all this has proceeded, you know, from the start of the case. So somebody like that shouldn't be allowed to get away with what he did. And going after people like that is why we do what we do.
6: That was one of the more Insightful things uh, that I heard through all that. And it was one of the things that's really sort of stuck with me. Um, when we were uh, just a little peek behind the curtain here, uh, when we were planning this episode yesterday, uh, and they uh, and handed to me and Tara handed to me the the kind of script for what we were thinking mm-hmm. thinking about here. I, I looked at it and I said, "Well, there's one thing that we." that's not here that's got to be in there, and it was that that little passage right there from Savannah Gow. Um, uh, and I had asked the whole room, I was like, you know, we all have our reasons for what we do, why we do what we do as far as our profession. Um, I've been in journalism now, I'm on the backside of 15 years, I'm going. I'm getting close to 20. Um, uh, and they, they are attorneys, they're prosecutors for a reason you have some and I asked them what it was about this trial that spoke to their why that triggered their why that that sparked that flame in them and that that was Savannah's answer Uh, and I thought it was and you could it went you could tell it went beyond just the it it, it spoke to the human element of it uh, of a a
5: visceral yeah it, it mm-hmm. was
6: it was it wasn't so much anything about her passions as a, as a lawyer it was human it was humanity and the the affront to humanity that this whole trial and Alec Murdoch's actions represent mm-hmm.
5: that's a very very well put and you know it was also it speaks to what Wilson said earlier on which was no one is above the law no one is above the law and I he said Thank goodness we were able to show that to the people of South Carolina, that you can't get away with murder.
4: I, I, thought, I thought it was just a really proud moment for South Carolina. If you step back from this, again, to give the history, which I think everyone knows at this point, it wasn't as if you were going against somebody that would be easy to prosecute from the standpoint of you name it. He, he, had, he, had, he had prominence, he had position, He had wealth. He was able to hire the attorneys of his choosing, very competent, able, uh, top-rate attorneys. And the fact that the state of South Carolina put the energy, effort, and resources into bringing him to justice, we can criticize our system, and of course, can always stand improvement. But if you step back from it, at least in this case, well done.
5: Justice served. So I want to play one more clip. because we need to know where we're going, of course. There's 99 financial charges against mm-hmm. Alec Marduk. Um We got an opportunity to hear that answer. As you mentioned, we were able to break some news on this, so it's out there as far as the report that we we've already done. But uh, we wanted to have this on the record to some degree mm-hmm. too, because we we're going to have a lot more to report on this case from what they're
4: telling us. Nine out of financial crimes still pending. Yeah, thinking about three strikes and you're in life without parole.
7: Alec Barnock? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes,
2: 100%. You know, the, the legislature uh, has defined breach of trust over 10000 as a strike, um, and they made that decision. You know, we don't make the laws either. We, we you know, enforce the laws and, and apply those laws, and we're talking about somebody uh, who allegedly um, has abused the trust that comes with that, um, that uh, you know, diploma and that certificate on the wall that we all have and did so in a way. Uh, that um, is, you know, unparalleled, allegedly. And again, those those remain to to be determined. Uh, he's presumed innocent of those and entitled to a fair trial. Uh, but we have planned to aggressively pursue those under the general's leadership.
7: I believe that every victim of every crime deserves to have their day in court, regardless of where the defendant is. Because a lot of people say, "Well, he's in prison for life. So you have got him. So why, why are you going to waste our time?" Well. He is irrelevant to their lives or their family's lives. So they deserve their day in court, and we're going to pursue every case that involves every other victim. They get their shot, they get their day in court. And again, as a matter of strategy, we expect that the appeal, we're going to defend the appeal. We expect him to be in prison for the rest of his life. But I would love to have that extra layer of, you know, know, basically to kind of insulate, uh, you know, appeal proof this thing. So we definitely want him. Uh,
5: Just, you know, put him up on those charges
2: for those various reasons. What are the three cases? Which three cases are you
5: going to do? Well, we're going to handle all
2: of them. Well, so the way it's indicted is, you know, the indictments are broken up in the various counties. As you know, in South Carolina, again, you have to venue the case in the county where, uh, you know, there's a connection. Uh, But those indictments are generally broken up by the, the various victims. You know, there's multiple charges related to each one.
5: Well, you know, that just gave us a peek again, and and thank you to this team. I mean, if they listen to this podcast, I really hope they know how much we appreciated them giving us such honest, clear direction on this. And once again, you know, we're not, the three of us are not lawyers, except for Charlie. Charlie is the (laughs) lawyer here um, with the legal mind. and you know, to be able to have that opportunity to ask them directly, well, what do you mean? What are you going to do? How are you going to do this? And for them to really answer us so honestly was was refreshing, uh, especially as a journalist. There were no – I didn't feel like there were a bunch of guardrails on this. And I also had a chance uh, to to see them um, a little bit in their natural environment, speaking to each other in their own Mm -hmm. sort of legal fashion. Mm -hmm. So this whole experience was really – really enlightening and especially since we know that we're going to have the same characters going into some of these other cases that are so extremely important we've spoken to Tommy Moore it, there's a there's a lot of victims out there that still need to hear hear from from the state
4: on this yes what a straightforward answer though right I was really surprised yeah you know, we're going to prosecute every charge mm-hmm. and yeah. seek another life without parole sentence all 99. So I think it's five counties, right? Yeah. So a lot more court in store for Alec Murdoch, and will he plead guilty or not guilty?
5: Yeah, and that's not even counting maybe some of the other the other sled investigations that are going on as well. So there's still a lot going on with this case for sure. As far as just to 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 wrap it up right now, you know, anything that really stood out to you guys is just moments um, as we've been going through these post trial interviews uh especially getting to meet this team
0: yeah i thought one uh moment was funny it literally made me laugh out loud during our interview uh, Creighton Waters was talking about how when they interview people to be prosecutors for the state how it's a really long process and he says that he said that they look for one main thing and it was quote ain't scared and he said that Savannah was ain't scared in her interview and that's why uh, you know whatever a reason why she was chosen I just thought that was so funny
6: he also called her a pit bull
0: <laughs> yeah he did and then right. I think also just seeing John Metters, you know he had a way of connecting with the jury that was very noticeable he connects with people obviously all of us just talking to him it was the first time we all talked to him one-on-one he's a hugger besides charlie yeah and he's a hugger he gave us all a hug at the end of the interview we were packing up we were out in our car we saw him coming out we were all waving to him um i just think he has a way with people and that was really cool to see in person and he was so like funny and candid he talked about you know the reason why i you know that we could do this cases because I gave them peanut butter every day. Just his little funny remarks was, it was just fun to see.
6: And we also, and we didn't end up playing this for time, but we did ask him uh, a little bit more to go on about. But you've heard this before by now. Thank God for Bubba, and, and he mm-hmm. retold that story about how his his family was uh, uh, his was it his daughter and son-in-law or son and daughter-in-law their I can't, dog tater and their their dog tater barked at when he heard uh when he heard the murdoch's dogs barking in, in the video as it was playing and it was a sign it, it, but he addressed that i, I thought john it, one of the cool things for me is just sitting there and observing people and little takeaways um I'm kind of going in order as we were facing them and as, as you've probably seen them uh, if you're watching the video part of this, by the way, the video portion of this, if you're listening on the podcast, if you want to see the video um, that will be on our YouTube channel. Uh, we're going to upload that. You can go watch the actual recording of this with the video clips. And I, as we speak, I'm working on editing and posting the full two hour interview, two plus out two and a half hour interview. I'm going to post the full-length interview for, with all five of the prosecutors and post that to YouTube, uh, ABC News 4, YouTube channel, WCIV, ABC News 4. So it'll it'll be there. It's not there yet. I'm working on it as we, it, today is March 30th, Thursday, March 30th. I'm hoping to have at least part one of that uploaded by tomorrow uh, or over the weekend. So it's a, it's a work in progress. We'll announce on our social media when it's finally out, but that's happening. Um, yeah, but for me, just sitting there watching them, as I'm going in reverse order on the far right, you've got David Fernandez, and, and what struck me with David is how personally he seemed to take it, and he you could tell he was holding back a little bit um, more than others about how he, he just his body language and his, his eyes, there was a real anger there with him and, and uh, about the the facts of this case and, and what Alec Murdoch did. I, I picked up on that he he really you felt like if he if you were sitting somewhere anywhere where they, where he didn't have a tie on and he, there was no cameras around David would have just unleashed uh, uh, what he was really really thinking. Um, John Metters to sit in a room with John Metters for two and a half hours like we did the man moves constantly. Uh, and you'll see this when we do upload the full videos, Uh, he's turning in his chair. It's like, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but think of, think of a little nine year old boy, uh, who's been cooped up in a room all day and he he's got all this energy. John was with, from from his chair, he was bouncing off the walls. He, he's very demonstrative. Uh, if you didn't pick up on that during trial, he, he talks with his hands, he he's, he touches people. Uh, he's he, he's very, he moves a lot and he's fidgety. I, I don't mean any of this in a negative sense, but he, he's just a ball of energy. And you could tell he was wanting to get up and run laps in that room while we had him sitting, him a, sitting in a chair. Um, Alan, uh, a very Humble, uh, a lot of humility is what I picked up on from Alan in, in the way he spent so much time in his interview. And of course, you, you'd want him to do that and expect him to do that as the Attorney General. But just praising the team around him, Creighton Waters. Uh, what I picked up there is a very sharp, wise cracking sense of humor that we got just little, little. Tastes of he 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 didn't uh, unleash it, but you, you get the sense that Creighton could drop something a, a little bit dry, a little bit uh, rye, if you will. Uh, that it's just funny as all get out, and he and he wanted to, uh, and we we saw a little bit of that with him. That that was my takeaway with with I think with Creighton a, a lot of that and it just he, he he seems like he'd be a lot of fun to be around and after all after all he moons light, he moonlights as a rock star uh, as a guitar player if you didn't know that about creighton he has he has he plays in bands and he's up there jumping around jamming the uh, solo solo lead guitar the guy guy has a ton of personality and we saw little glimpses of it he was pretty buttoned up and tried to keep himself professional, but <laughs> well, you could tell. Like
5: clutch. Well, that was clutch. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I heard him say the word "clutch," it was like
6: sports. Sports analogies. Great guy. Know.
5: Yeah, we got a lot of analogies. We got a lot of sports analogies for sure. Go ahead,
6: Savannah. Uh, oh yeah, Savannah. I, I, I think the again, I've already mentioned this, but what what the lasting takeaway f- for me from her is ju- just. she she was content i I think to let other people do a lot of the talking Mm -hmm. in there and when it when we did come to her uh with that question she just kind of like (laughs) well she she it was like a little bit of a shocker and and like a a a punch because like she's very few words and then when she opens her mouth it's a uh She's got a lot to say and a lot with a lot of deep resonance to it, and, and there it wasn't, it, it wasn't just platitudes or just. Uh, I agree uh, with it, that. It, it, it think she had very powerful, and she had a very powerful way of putting things. Yeah. Do you
5: have anything to add? My to moment, that? yeah. 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 Oh,
4: that's uh, thanks for the opportunity because my moment was, all right, we've been together for a six-week trial in Walterboro, South Carolina, and the moment for me was. I've been in that, was in that building for eight years as attorney general. And so to have the prosecution team, almost all of them, and you all there at the same time, what a moment for me. It was uh, it was really special.
5: I'm so glad. The world's colliding a bit.
4: Oh, it was, and they <laughs> all did such a great job. I thought the uh, questioning was great. I, I think they responded really well. They were very direct, just like you say. And it was... Uh, It really was a a moment of uh, great journalism, and we got a lot of you got that hard news coming out that same day about the prosecuting 99 financial crimes, seeking another life without parole sentence for Alec Murdoch. I I just thought that was really special.
0: And what was your moment? You've another reporter in here, so I got to ask. (laughs) <laughs> uh-huh. Normally, Ann can get away with not saying <laughs> so. will be off
5: the thing. Well, I think that it. W- I think I, I agreed with you. I think that the the levity of the situation of uh, being in the state grand jury room. I, I just kept on feeling like as we walked through security, we walked back into this room. We were finally, honestly, getting like that 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 peek behind the curtain. And as a journalist, there's just nothing that feels better than when you feel like you're getting the real story about what these people really feel. And to be able to ask them that, for them to answer that honestly, that was my overall impression was that I was, it was incredibly satisfying as a journalist to be able to put a a bow on uh, a part of the story that so many people, not just us, but so many people out in the world really wanted to know what they were thinking, what was their strategy, what was it like to have to cross Alec Murdoch when you knew what you already knew. And um, so, yeah, so I think I have to say it was that whole experience. Thank you for asking.
6: How cool I, was I, it at the end, and to just be out there? And, and this is at the very end of this. We've, we've, we're packing up the gear. They're, some of them have already gone. It was just me, Anne. Creighton Waters and Mm -hmm. David Fernandez hanging out in the hallway outside of the room. And they they were just talking off the cuff at that point. And how cool was that for you?
5: It was great. It was great because, you know, they have to have uh, gates up um, for journalists. I mean, it's just that's just part of, you know, when you're when you're working in such a high profile level, but to be able to speak You know, off the cuff a little bit, but just amongst ourselves Mm -hmm. as human beings, maybe as as people that are covering this and obviously just going through the process of of living and breathing these stories. It was it was very cool, Drew. And I wanted to say, too, we've put it out there for the defense attorneys, for Dick Harpootlian and Jim Griffin and their team um, and their PR PR folks that that are helping handle the mass of of requests, and we appreciate that. We have so far not been granted an interview with them, and it may well be due to time constraints with them, but-
4: And also legal reasons. I do think it's it's on on appeal, and so what they- But I do
5: want people to know that we Mm -hmm. have reached out to them Mm -hmm. as journalists, it's important for us to stay fair and balanced in in our storytelling and in our coverage, and we will continue to reach out to Senator Harputlian and, and Jim Griffin, and to his defense team, uh, I would love to hear how they were mm-hmm. living and breathing this mm-hmm. as well. But for legal reasons. That yeah, I think
4: maybe face. they may not be able to because what they say at this point in time before the appeal is heard could possibly come back to, uh, so, to hurt their client. Exactly.
5: So. And so just so everybody is on the same page about that, that is where we're coming from as a, as a team as well. Um, please, if you have enjoyed our podcast, please uh, leave us five stars and, and write a review and let us know what you're thinking. And obviously, we have a lot of social media channels that you can reach out to us. And we're always wanting to hear more of what you want to hear about. Uh, we also want to make sure that you're aware that we are at the same time in tandem, if you can imagine it, uh, running another podcast that we've been working on all year, Finding Brittany Drexel. We're coming up soon to actually the anniversary of her death and the arrest of of the man who was accused of killing her. Um, We would love for you to follow Finding Brittany Drexel, also under Unsolved South Carolina. So for today, this is a long one, uh, but boy, did we have a lot to cover. And we're just so grateful for everybody's time in this room and out there. Uh, Keep on following us. We're going to have a lot more on this, obviously, because this story is not going anywhere. Thank you so much from myself and emerson charlie condon drew trip tara jabor max harrison we'll see you soon